message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. I've often said that uh, when we read the Bible, sometimes we get a very warped view of what's really happening there. A good example of that is the Joseph series that we just finished off. We went from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, 13 chapters. And as we went through those chapters, we did that in about nine weeks, ten weeks. And yet that covers about a hundred years, almost a hundred years of, of time there. And how there's a part of the Bible, it's not that it's trying to fool us, but because it's history, it's one of those things that we look back and we see a dilemma that happened in somebody's life. And that dilemma may have happened for 6, 7, 8, 10, 15 years, and yet it's solved in one chapter on one page of the Bible. One day they're going to tell our story and we're going to be able to look back. We're going to say, and we're going to kind of see it in that kind of synopsis where something that we traveled through and night after night, maybe we had anxiousness and we all sleep over it and it seems so heavy. And it's like, oh my goodness, the days, have you ever had days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months because of the heaviness of those things? And yet there's going to be a day that we look back in history and we're going to be able to say, you know, we're going to be able to tell that story in a very short amount of time, maybe in a, just a page of our own autobiography. That's not deception of the Bible. It's just one of those things we have to be aware that sometimes the Bible, because it's historical in that sense and telling us what has already happened, that sometimes we get this summary and it seems really simple until it happens to you. To find out that Joseph is thrown into prison, you're going, just hold on, Joseph. There's going to be a time. Pharaoh's going to have a dream. He's going to want to know what this dream means. They are going to get you out of that prison cell until you're in the prison. And you're waiting on somebody's promise to you that said, I'll remember you when I get out. And day after day after day, that promise goes unfulfilled. And you're going, is this ever going to end? Well, this morning, as we start this season of Advent, this season of waiting, the season of the coming of Christ, we really want to try as best as we can to kind of come back to that perspective of what it must have been like between the time that the prophet Isaiah said that Christ was going to come to this world and the time that it actually happened. Now again, there's no way that you and I can understand even the length of 700 years, but that's how long it was. 700 years that God had this prophet say, there's going to be this child, and you're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us. And yet 700 years transpired before the fulfillment of that. I want you to, if you have your Bible, I know a lot of people use electronic Bibles and different things, but if you have your Bible, will you find Isaiah chapter 7? And just kind of put your finger there. You're going to have to, actually, you have to use three different fingers for this. So Isaiah chapter 7, kind of put your finger there and hold that. Okay, Isaiah chapter 7. And if you just want to get the book of Isaiah, that's close enough, okay? Now find this a book called Malachi, okay? Or as one pastor said at one time, Malachi. Uh, he, I'd never heard it pronounced that way, and I don't think it's supposed to, but he continued to, to use that terminology throughout his sermon. But Malachi, look at this, the last book of the Old Testament. Now put another finger there. So you've got one finger in Isaiah chapter 7. Now you have another finger in Malachi chapter 4, which is going to be the last chapter of the Old Testament. Now turn over and find Matthew chapter 1. 
depending on if you have a study Bible or if you have a Bible that doesn't have a lot of notes, that could be just pages away, if not just a page away or two. But you have your, okay, Rory, you did that so wonderfully well. Okay, so you got all three, right? Now, Rory, can you stand up? Can you be my example? Just, you, you can stay right there, but just kind of turn around. Now, keep all those. Okay, now, this right here, Rory, is 700 years, okay? Well, no, between here and here is, is I'm, I'm sorry, 300 years. Okay, 300 years here. It's 700 years from this all the way to the back. So this first little section from Isaiah to Malachi, kind of when the prophecy comes out from the prophet, is 700 years before it's actually going to happen. Okay? Now this section right here, when Malachi chapter 4, when he pronounces this, is about to start 400 plus years of silence. And then in Matthew is when it comes into fulfillment. So this right here, this, just these couple pages, represent how much time? 400 years. Y'all did excellent. You did excellent. Thank you. There will be blessings in heaven because you, you did that today. <laughs> now, now, when you get that, guys, you see that ward perspective that you look, okay, we can look from Isaiah to Malachi and we can look at that section. It was somewhat thick and we're going, okay, that's conceivably 300 years. We can see where things would happen in that time frame. But from Malachi to Matthew, how many of you were able to do that, that little section because maybe your, your Bible is written in such a way without study notes that it was only a page or two? How many of y'all had a, a Bible like that? 400 years. 400 years. Where God was silent. Not that God left. Not that God's blessings weren't here. But up to this time, God spoke through two different ways. One way that he spoke is through his written word. By the Old Testament, they did have a collection. It wouldn't have been the Bible that we have today, but they did have a Bible, and they had the collection of what God had ordained to be written, and they could study from that. Remember, you can go back to different places like in Nehemiah where they had not read the written word for a long time. And Nehemiah, one of the things he did when he kind of brought back this uh, resolve to, to follow God, they began to read Scripture. And to remember, they hadn't done that for years. And so the first couple times they did it, they stood in honor of God's word, and they stood for hours because they said, we haven't read God's word in a long time. So they would stand as a congregation, all these people, and because they wanted to honor God's word, and they would start reading. And hours and hours later, they would sit down. Now my sermons, sermons seem a little short, don't they? Okay. Only in comparison to that. Those few pages, 400 years. One way that God spoke is through his written word. The other one was through prophets. That God would send people that were called and he would say, okay, this is a word that I have for you. And it was kind of like, you know, sometimes we say, thus saith the Lord. Well, that's what the prophets did. They didn't say, this is, you know, Jeremiah's kind of thoughts on it. It wasn't, you know, uh, you know uh, Isaiah's thoughts. He says, no, this is the word of God. This is what he's told me to communicate to you. These are God's word. Thus saith the Lord. This is going to happen. And that's exactly what had happened hundreds of years before. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before it ever happens, back in Isaiah chapter 7, I I don't want to go into the length of of what was happening, but the Assyrians had come in. The, The Israelites, God's people, were not in a real good place. They had a lot of wonderment about what their future was. They had a lot of wonderment, has God just forgotten us? They had a lot of wonderment, has God not 
forgotten us, but is he just against us? Because he's allowed these people to come in and kind of take over our land. We're kind of all over. We're scattered. We're not a common people. We don't feel the power of God in our lives anymore. And the prophet Isaiah was not a very popular prophet. Why? Because he preached repentance. Now, do most people that you know like to hear about repentance in their own life? How many friends do you have, Radley, that they just like when you come up and say, hey, here's four things that I think that you need to change in your life. Most of us are not receiving of that. And and that's how the prophet Isaiah, he wasn't really a popular uh, among the people because he preached repentance. He he said, look, you've broken God's laws. There's a lot of things that you are doing that are offensive to God. and, And God wants you to change those things. And so a lot of people just said, you know, we don't want to hear that. And yet in the midst of that pronouncement that they needed to change some things in their lives and return to worshiping the one true God, he said, here's hope. I want you to know that one day God is actually going to clothe himself in flesh. He's going to come in the form of a little baby and he's going to be born and he's going to dwell among you. He's going to walk in the streets that you walk. He's going to eat the food that you eat. He's going to breathe the air that you breathe. Folks, this was revolutionary. And we see the first tenses of this all the way back in Genesis 3.15. There's the first pronouncement of the gospel all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But it's not until Isaiah, uh, there's certainly some in Daniel that we could look at some prophecies there. But this is the first time that we really start to grasp that God himself is going to clothe himself in flesh, that he's going to be born in a little manger, and that he's going to be the, the savior of the world. Perhaps you and I have become so familiar with that story that it doesn't keep us in awe anymore. Part of celebrating Advent is take us back to a place of childlike awe. Just to be like a child again. I mean, there's a part of me that I'm glad that I'm not seven years old on Christmas Eve. But isn't there a part of you that really wishes you were seven-year-old on Christmas Eve? Remember that? How many of y'all would ever stay up the entire night? Or at least you tried to. And then finally, you know, you, you fell asleep somewhere at 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Only to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go get your parents and say, Santa has come. <laughs> yeah, do we miss the awe of what it really means that God himself, God creator of all things, the creator of all people, would come and dwell among us, would sit down right beside you would walk the streets that you walk and experience the experiences that you experience. Well, this is prophesied. Isaiah went on and he made another prophecy in in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a sign is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He begins to describe the very nature of this one that would come, and that he would be this counselor, not just a regular counselor, but a wonderful counselor. That he'd be a prince, not just a prince who would be over some type of uh, kingdom and live in a castle, but he'd be the prince of peace. And he began to, to, to really show us what kind of savior was coming. Now let's go to that book of Malachi, last book that we have written in the Old Testament. Go to chapter 4. And look at one other prophecy where God kind of gives us a description of what's going to happen, even though it would take a long time for this actually to come into place. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. This awesome day that the Lord is going to come. Christ is coming. And he says, look, there's going to be one that actually comes and prepares a way. We, we know that person is John the Baptist. That this person is going to come and, and begin to preach once again. What was the message of John the Baptist? Repentance. Because during this time, people once again had kind of gotten away from really worshiping God as the one true God. They had kind of let down their spiritual guard. They really weren't into the spiritual disciplines of life. They had a lot of doubts and a lot of fears, and so they just were kind of overwhelmed with that. And so the, the message of John the Baptist coming and preparing for Christ is once again repentance. But there was something different this time. Among people that really were wondering, was John popular unpopular people that were really sincerely trying to find God sincerely trying to find God but he was quite popular they were coming from all over he was out in the wilderness area and people would take off from their day job and they would come out there to hear the message of repentance to be baptized Uh, there was a resurgence of kind of we want to find God now why was there a resurgence of wanting to find God because for 400 years They had not had a fresh word from God. Silence is usually used in relationship, not to help a relationship, but to hinder a relationship. Most of the time in a relationship, silence isn't uh, always golden. Sometimes it's a way that we can just, well, I will show you. And I imagine that during those 400 years when there was silence from God, that some people maybe even took it that way. Well, God, I guess God is just so mad at us because we rebelled. We didn't hear this message of repentance. We didn't change our life. We didn't come back and kind of start worshiping like we should. And I think maybe God is just tired of us. So maybe his silence is just like that person says, I've had enough. I'll show you. That's not God. During this time of silence, all they had was the written word, the other way that God reveals himself to us. Now we have the Holy Spirit, but at this time, it was only the written word and through the prophets. There was no fresh prophecy during this time. There wasn't another Jeremiah. There wasn't another Isaiah that God brought up. For all these generations, people lived and died without hearing a fresh word, and all they had was just the written word. But look what happens. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 21 through 23. Get in mind that this little section in your Bible from Isaiah was about, worry, was it about that thick right there? Okay. Uh, was 700 years. This time between Malachi and this happening was one page, two pages, and yet it's 400 years And then it happens. What we're familiar with. Matthew chapter 1. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then what what is verse 25? It's a reference back to Isaiah. So I want to remind you guys that this is not something new. I'm not making this up as I go. I, I want you to know that this right here is what I said 700 years ago. And I want to remind you now it's coming into action and into reality. Now, I say all of this to simply let you know that 
that there's hope in those times of silence. There's many times, guys, that you don't have any fresh word in your life. It's not because God is mad. It's not because God is angry. It's not because that God, for some reason, has turned his back on you. But there's just sometimes in our spiritual lives, there's times that God is speaking from every part of creation that there is. And there's other times that we're like going, okay, God, 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 where, where, where? And all we hear is, And all those times, we come back. And even now, that if you're a Christian, you're indwelt with the very Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and God can speak to you there. But even sometimes, it seems like the Holy Spirit is kind of quiet in our life. And there's going to be some times, guys, that all we have is the written word from God that was spoken before. How many of you have received a fresh word about the return of Christ? Second coming of Christ. How many of you in here said, okay, I have, man, just last week, God told me, February 21st, 2038. I mean, there's certainly been people in our life and time that have picked out dates. And they have claimed to have a fresh word from God. And yet, how many of you and I have been given a fresh word? All we've been given is the promise. Hey, one day. One day, Christ is coming back, and the clouds will open up, and he'll come back, and he'll take his children to be with him, and we will be with him forevermore. We're waiting now, as they were waiting then. We're not in the total darkness. Now, I know it seems quite dark out there at times, but we're not kind of in the darkness of this intertestamentary period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not quite 400 years. We have preachers now. We have gifted leaders. We have all kinds of access to, through the internet of getting words from God all the time. We now have the indwelling of God himself in our lives. And he speaks to us. And yet there's going to be some times when the sermon just doesn't make sense. It goes right over your head or right to the left or the right. There's going to be times that even godly friends around you, and it seems like they're just speaking a foreign language, and that all you're going to have is just your knowledge of what God has said and that you can count on that. Those 400 years, there wasn't a lot happening in the Bible sense. As far as among the people, I, I can bore you with all kinds of details of, of some of these different groups of the Jewish people that was happening. I, I say bore you because you would probably be bored with it. It's pretty fascinating to me of what was happening there. But I will tell you that there was a lot of things happening in the world. Can we go to that next slide? Anybody ever heard of Cleopatra? Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Have you ever heard of Julius Caesar, Ptolemy? Have you ever heard of those people? That all happened in these 400 years. It happened after Malachi, but before the New Testament. All these things were happening. You know, this Augustus Caesar, that, you know, when it starts talking about in the the Bible story, it says, and Caesar Augustus made this proclamation. Uh, Is that the son or is it the nephew? It's the relation to Julius Caesar. It's, It's as he comes down. He's the one that's in control. He's the Caesar that's in the control at that point. But these people of history, that's what's happening during that 400 years. But there's not a lot of spiritual things going. There's not an Isaiah. There's not a Jeremiah. There's not these people that are just saying, Thus saith the Lord. And yet God was working. Greek becomes the common language across most of uh, a central part of the world. 
Greek is what the New Testament's written in. It becomes a very common language that even the common people begin to, to understand so that these, they could communicate. See, there's two enemies of, of, of hope. Time, the passing of time, and the lack of results or action. You can have incredible hope on a Sunday morning. And then you start to pray about it, and all week, there's no movement of God. You don't see anything happening. And the passing of time and the lack of results, what does that do to your hope? Yeah, you come back in the next week, oh man, you're going, man, I am pumped up today because, you know, I prayed last week and I heard nothing from God. And I was looking for God to work and nothing happened in this whole thing that I was praying about. Nothing happened whatsoever. And yet I was on my knees morning, day, and night. And I was praying about these things and I saw nothing. It, it starts to crush. I love that word, crush our hope. And so you can only imagine if there was 400 years between the promise and the delivery of where your hope would be. And yet in the midst of it, this is one of the things that we celebrate with Advent. We remind ourselves back of the hope that Christ brought. See, when you have a hurting marriage, when you have a hurting friend, when you have sickness in your life, when you have troubled finances, when you have anything, and you want hope, and and you have that sliver of hope, and then you start seeing the passing of time and the lack of results, immediate effect to that, starts to crush that hope. This waiting that happened between Old Testament and New Testament, God was doing things. It was a time without fresh prophecies, and yet he was ever fulfilling the prophecies. For us, God has made promises about the return of his son. I mean, honestly, let's let's not be the super spiritual here, okay? How many of you this past week, last seven days, that's seven, still seven, the last seven days, actively, I mean, you actively thought, today could be the day that Christ returns. How many of you, let's just be real honest, raise your hand if in the last seven days, not if you think that it's a possibility, you know that, but you actively thought, you were just going through your day and you're going, today could be that day that has been prophesied for, you know, for the last 2,000 years that Christ was coming. How many of you actively thought of it this last seven days? Raise your hand. Good, I'm glad we have one. One faithful among us. Now, can it happen? Could it have happened any of these days? Yeah. If I would have asked you, if I would have called each of you individually up on Tuesday and said, hey, look, this is the promise of God that he's going to, his son is going to return. There's going to be the second coming. He's going to gather all of his children. He's going to take us to heaven. We're going to live with him in glory forever and ever. Do you believe that? I guarantee you, every one of us. I would hope that every one of us would raise their hand and say, yes, I know it can happen. I said, do you believe that it can happen even tomorrow? I believe that every one of us would probably say, yes, I know it can probably happen tomorrow. But were we thinking of that on Tuesday? Are we so consumed with the darkness that's around us and the fights that we're fighting and the things that are kind of weighing us down that, that we forgot about this hope of this blessed promise in this prophecy that one day Christ is coming back? That's why Advent is a really special season. It reminds us of the historical prophecy uh, promise of God for 400 years, this darkness, and, and that's why we'll light that candle. Each week there's a different candle that we light 
And when you light that candle, oh, please light. Because <laughs> amidst that darkness, there's this one light, this promise of God that just is, is that God says, look, I know it seems like it's dark around you, but there is hope. There is hope. It's here. It's here. Brother, sister, and fellow believer, I don't know what you're going through, what kind of darkness, what kind of weight, what kind of how long it's been since you've had a fresh word from God. It could have been just last night. It could have been this morning. You open up your Bible. Maybe it was a prayer time as you began your day. And you had a fresh word from God and it gave you hope. But I know that sometimes we just go through those times of our lives that are just kind of dark periods. God hasn't changed. We really haven't maybe changed. And yet we're just not feeling it. And God says, I want you to know. I want you to know. The light still burns. The promise is real. This point as we begin Advent, we remember the promises of God. We we remember the faithfulness of God. And we remember the sovereignty of God. And that word sovereignty keeps on coming up. Almost every week it comes up. I want you to see the connection. This isn't because I'm a nerdy theologian or I attempt to be a nerdy theologian, okay? I, I... I confess I'm a nerd and I like theology. Here's the application, guys. The promises of God are only as good as the faithfulness of God. Would you agree with that? Would you, would you agree with that? Okay, there you go. Has anybody ever given you a promise before that they did not fulfill? Yeah. So we know that just a promise by itself, a promise by itself is good but worth nothing if it's not fulfilled, if they're not faithful. So God can promise you a new horse for Christmas. But if he's not a faithful God, he's not going to fulfill that. Now, now let's add that last part. Okay, God makes a promise. His character is one. He is faithful in all that he does. So he keeps his promises. Now, if you had somebody who was faithful and they even had the character of faithfulness to keep promises, but they had the inability to really bring about that promise, would that help you? Some came to me and, Sunita, you said, man, I need a million dollars. I would want to be a, a good pastor. And I would say, man, I, I promise you, I, I'm going to try to get that to you. And I try to be a man of my word. But I'm telling you, that last part, the ability to provide, nothing. All I can do is, man, I'll pray for you, sister. That's all I can do, okay? Here's my dollar. You know, that's all I can do. And, and so do you see how these are connected? God can make promises. People can make promises. But it's the promises of God that are based on the character of God that says, I'm faithful. And it's the faithfulness of God that says, okay, he is sovereign in that he is all-powerful. He can do all things. That's why through 400 years of science, you can say there's a light burning. That's why over 2,000 years and there's a delay in his return. We're going, you know, there's a light. There's a reason to have hope. And it's not just this fictitious, I hope, I hope, I hope, I think because I want. 
No, we have a God who still makes promises based on his faithfulness, and he's sovereign over all things to bring that about, and he will. One day the skies will open up, and the Son of God will return in all his glory. And those have been found faithful that have put their trust in the finished work of God. Not the perfect people, because there are none. But those who have put their faith in the perfection of Christ and his finished work, we will be with God forever and ever. Amen? All because of God who promises, who is faithful, and who is sovereign over all things. He makes no mistakes. Last verse. We're going to close. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. But when, what? What does that say? When the, when the fullness of time have come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. One of the most blessed passages in all the Bible. Where God connects 400 years of silence his promise, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, and said at the perfect time. Not a second, that, that, that phrase there, not a second too early, not a second too late. I mean, I'm doing good if I can just get it in the general direction of a day or a week or a month. I truly believe that Christ was born. I truly believe this. At the precise second of human history that God had designed. God didn't say, well, I'm going to get it close enough of an hour. I'll get it close enough of a week. I'll get it close enough. It'll just be a period of time somewhere kind of about 2,000 years ago. No, when I have verses like this, and there's other verses that would demonstrate the same truth, when the fullness of time, at the exact time the Bible says in another verse, Christ was born. I say that as we close to give you hope this morning. For the dark periods of your time, when there is not a fresh word, you've prayed, you've looked, you're trying to find something, and all you've got, you don't have a fresh word from God at this moment, all you've got is his faithfulness of the past, built on the promises that he's made, and he's sovereign over it, and all you've got is just a little light. And God is saying, just like last week, that's enough. That's enough. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, there's times in my life that I want a raging inferno. Father, I want a fire like they've, they, they've had kind of maybe out there in California where it's just for acres and acres and acres, there's just this burning bright. Father, I want you to speak that loud at, at times in my life. And Father, there's been times when it seems like you've been incredibly silent. And yet in those times, Father, it was that still, small voice. The promise of your word, the truth of your word, your faithfulness and your sovereignty that gave me hope in the midst of a, of a time when, when I wondered. Father, if there's somebody here this morning like that, that, that they just, they're kind of in a dark time, Father, will you let them know as, as we celebrate Advent, as we have this purposeful, mindful thought of what it means that you came 2,000 years ago. Father, that you're going to come again even though it's been 2,000 years since that promise was made. 
that you're a God that will be faithful to those promises because you are sovereign, truly sovereign over all. Father, Christ will not return one second too early and not one second too late. And Father, because you are sovereign and you're providential over all of us, Father, I really believe that you will even do that in the midst of our little meager lives. That, Father, there are things that you will not bring about a second too early or a second too late because there's always working good for those things, Father, for those ones that you have called. Father, thank you for uh, a candle, a little flame in the midst of the darkness. As we go through Advent this year, Father, I pray especially this week that we would focus on that, that element of hope and how you are that God of hope. So we love you, we thank you, and we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.